0: I'm going to be very brief with the introduction for Dr. Hakeem. I could go on for most of the morning about the things he's accomplished. Uh, he intersected uh, early in his career with, uh, with Dr. Dukak. They trained together uh, in internal medicine in Kenya uh, uh, four or five years ago uh, and uh, have been uh, very uh, successful going off in different directions uh, in their careers, but with a very common intersection of uh, providing much of the uh, knowledge and uh, leadership that uh, we've seen uh, in dealing with uh, HIV in Africa. Uh, Dr. Hakim uh, finished his training and actually became a cardiologist uh, and um, uh, assumed a position uh, in the internal medicine department uh, at the University of Zimbabwe uh, as HIV was getting uh, its head start uh, in Zimbabwe. Uh, and uh, became an AIDS expert uh, very quickly uh, when it became clear that most of the admissions to the hospital were HIV-related. Uh, he has risen to be chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of Zimbabwe uh, and has developed a, an extremely uh, effective research team that uh, has uh, uh, become the uh, AIDS clinical trials Re- unit of the University of Zimbabwe, affiliated with the University of Colorado, Uh, The people that uh, he leads in his division have collaborated uh, for nearly a decade now uh, with uh, researchers uh, at UCSF and at the University of Colorado, uh, contributing to knowledge about uh, capsid sarcoma. When the International Program for the AIDS Clinical Trials Group was launched, we were delighted that uh, the University of Zimbabwe was one of our first sites. Uh, We had an open solicitation for ideas about the most important questions to be addressed, received non-protocol submissions uh, as candidate submissions and the one that was chosen was one that James has become the principal investigator of with Tom Campbell, ACG 5175, which is addressing a very important question about initiation of therapy uh, in resource-limited settings. He's provided incredible leadership for this uh, within the group. Uh, He uh, contributed to, was one of the uh, co-chairs of the writing group that wrote our scientific agenda. Uh, and was one of the people that we brought with us to the reverse site visit. So the fact that ACG still exists uh, as a group uh, can be laid right at his feet or blamed on him as well. So we appreciate very much all the leadership role he's played in the ACG as well. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you Dr. James Hakeem uh, and welcome him to the University of California, San Diego. James,
1: I'll do a little bit on uh, uh, HIV/AIDS in Sub-Saharan Africa and um, specifically HIV in Zimbabwe. And uh, with regard to Zimbabwe, I really want to give you just some uh, perspectives of the impact of uh, the disease and uh, how the national response has uh, built up. And then I will uh, probably go through um, a couple, maybe three, depending on time, Uh, of the uh, results that uh, we have found in the DART study. Um, I think this is um, a map that is very familiar to uh, all of you and the only reason I've put it up is simply to um, refocus your attention to the fact that out of the close to 40 uh, million people living with HIV AIDS, both adults and children, uh, close to 25 million are in Africa. I think one just needs to be reminded of uh, uh, that uh, burden of uh, disease. And if one is talking of uh, infections, uh, recent infections, infections in 2005 out of the 4 uh, million infections or so, uh, just under 3 million uh, occurred in sub-Saharan Africa. And um, I think it's important to uh, probably get um, uh, an idea of the march of uh, the epidemic uh, over time uh, through Africa um, to bring home the uh, magnitude of the disease in Zimbabwe. Um, I don't know if you're able to see the uh, colors there which represent uh, different... Uh, prevalence uh, levels, Uh, the white one there being the lowest and the dark red being the highest. And from 1990, the disease was mainly in uh, Central Africa, maybe the furthest country that was affected uh, southwards was mainly Zambia and a little bit in Swaziland and uh, Lesotho. Over the years, as you can see, by 2005, Southern Africa was really the epicenter of the epidemic, and Zimbabwe was uh, affected to a very uh, great extent. Zimbabwe has a population of 11.5 million, and um, it has a very high literacy rate. Um, And more importantly, it has a very high literacy rate uh, among women of close to 85%, and that that is extremely important. Um, The economy is mainly uh, centered around agriculture and mining, but the economy suffers from uh, very high inflation, uh, 1,600 and... uh, uh, probably a little higher when I checked on uh, the internet this morning. <laughs> it's, it's close to 1,700 now. Um, the uh, system of government can be best characterized as parliamentary democracy, whatever that means, and if we focus on the HIV epidemic, it's generalized. So. Um, there is no single group that you'd identify as being affected. It's a disease in the rural areas, it's a disease in urban areas, uh, the young, the old. But what is important is that women, um, predominantly affected, with 59% uh, of women, uh, of of those who live with HIV AIDS uh, being women. The uh, prevalence is around 18 um, and, percent and this is a prevalence that has come down from figures that were originally quoted to be about 30 uh, percent but I think there was uh, probably a quirk in uh, the way that uh, those prevalent figures were calculated. And uh, recalculation showed that probably the highest prevalence was around 24 25%. But currently, that's what the prevalence is. So there are about 1.5 million uh, people living with HIV-AIDS out of uh, 11.5 million and close to 1 million uh, orphans. So what are the challenges uh, in relation to HIV-AIDS in Zimbabwe? The very high burden of disease, obviously, reduced life expectancy. And for a clinician like myself, uh, you go to the wards and close to 70% of uh, your admissions are due to uh, HIV-related conditions, both in the adult and uh, pediatric wards. And the impact of the disease is everywhere, agriculture, industry, and uh, there's a very high level of uh, immigration as a result of the economic impact uh, in the country. And um, if you just look at life expectancy at birth, um, focusing on Zimbabwe, uh, in the 70s, 80s, the life expectancy was improving, and it peaked at uh, 57 or so, but it's estimated that by 2010, the life expectancy would probably be coming down to... Uh, 36, 35 years. So that is indeed uh, a very worrying uh, trend. Um, As a clinician, I couldn't resist putting a few uh, slides just to give you a a sense of the kind of conditions that we see. This is tuberculosis, but you can see the way that tuberculosis sometimes presents um, in in our environment. And this is cryptococcal disease, and you can see the kind of rush that you get in cryptococcal disease. Now, what is the national response to HIV/AIDS? Uh, in spite of the rather uh, depressing statements I made regarding uh, inflation uh, earlier on, uh, there is a very strong uh, political commitment. Um, and indeed, uh, Zimbabwe established. Uh, a system of ensuring that everybody who earned money, whether an individual or company, contributed to uh, addressing the question of uh, HIV. So there was an AIDS levy which has been ongoing for more than 10 years. So individuals and companies contribute 3% of their earnings to a big pot of money. Uh, That's run by the National AIDS uh, Council and it goes to address Uh, various uh, issues related to uh, HIV and AIDS. Um, HIV and AIDS was declared as a national emergency to go around this whole question of um, uh, manufacturing uh, antiretrovirals and indeed we do manufacture um, uh, antiretroviral drugs in Zimbabwe. Uh, Preventive issues are important, and there's a multi-sectoral approach. Uh, The PMTCT uh, program, at least in its uh, conception, is very strong. It's just a question of implementation uh, because of uh, resource constraints. Treatment and care. Uh, The national efforts um, uh, are well uh, grounded in a national policy and a national HIV-AIDS strategy. Uh, The only problems are limitations, uh, financial limitations. The Global Fund does assist uh, in uh, uh, treatment of HIV-AIDS patients, TB patients and malaria, but the funding is uh, limited from uh, that source. Uh, We are not um, a presidential emergency plan, uh, a PEFA focused country, uh, and, and that, uh, we feel, um, has impacted very negatively because all the countries uh, around us are PEFA focused countries, and uh, this has resulted in, in, in a very rapid uh, scale-up of antitrovirals in those countries, but not in Zimbabwe. Focusing on research, we have been involved over the past 12, 14 years in... Um, fairly uh, extensive research in, preventive, uh, in prevention of HIV. So preventive research has been well grounded in, in the country and most of it has actually been uh, funded uh, by uh, the NIH and uh, more recently uh, there has been association with uh, various networks including uh, the Gates uh, Melinda Foundation. Therapeutic research in HIV is more recent and uh, that's what uh, Dr. Schooley was talking about. But we've become extremely active in uh, this area and I will uh, uh, show you a few results of the kind of therapeutic uh, research that we're doing. And there are various other forms of uh, research that are being done in HIV. And you can see we we do collaborate with a very wide uh, spectrum of uh, organizations, networks, and institutions. Going on to antiretroviral drugs, um, the research priorities are probably similar to research priorities everywhere else, and more so uh, research priorities in um, the developing world. You know, when to start antiretrovirals, what to start, and what to monitor, and what to change to. And uh, the various uh, other issues related to deployment of antiretroviral drugs are all uh, extremely important and they constitute uh, really uh, priority areas of uh, research in our environment. Um, I thought I would just plug this in to show you the march of uh, the scale-up of antiretroviral uh, drugs and um, the darker colours show those countries that uh, have the least uh, rollout of antiretroviral drugs. And uh, Zimbabwe is, is one of those. And you can see over time that um, most of the uh, countries in uh, sub-Saharan Africa are lighting up, or at least you know they're becoming a little brighter in terms of uh, uh, availability of antiretroviral drugs. But uh, Zimbabwe still re- uh, remains uh, fairly dark in that uh, context. I thought I would spend uh, some minutes on uh, the DART study, which is development of antiretroviral therapy in Africa. And this is a study which we uh, uh, initiated in the late uh, 90s, and um, it's ongoing. uh, But we've had a number of lessons that we've learned and we've made presentations mainly at Croix and several other meetings. So I'm just going to rehash some of those um, slides um, for the benefit of those who might not have uh, seen them, but just to show you that uh, we are trying in a small way to uh, address uh, questions of how to deploy antiviral drugs in uh, a resource-limited environment. The DART study, Involves 3,300 patients. It's um, now a six-year study. We've had an extension. It's an open-label, randomized, controlled clinical trial assessing feasibility of therapeutic approaches for resource-limited settings. The most important question that uh, was on our minds, remember this was 1990, uh, thereabouts, was clinical monitoring versus clinical plus laboratory monitoring. We appreciated, even at that time, that the cost of antitrovirals was coming down, but what was going to uh, be um, a barrier to scaling up antitroviral drugs was laboratory monitoring if we were going to do it in exactly the same way that it's done in um, uh, the resource-rich settings. So that was an important question that we asked, And it has, in a sense, served as the anchor for many of the uh, sub-studies that we have done. Then the second question at that time was uh, structured treatment interruptions. And uh, some of you uh, uh, probably realize that that's that's probably a bad word now. But uh, this was another important uh, question that we were asking at that point. Uh, the, the, the first results that came out was uh, short-term virologic response to a triple nucleoside, nucleotide, analog regimen in adults with HIV infection in Africa within the DART trial. Again, those of you who are following this realize that uh, probably triple nukes are not the way to go. But at that point, it was, uh, we were not really worried about the regimen that we were using because we were testing a strategy uh, and it just happens that we, we, we were able to uh, access uh, triple nukes and used it. And so it was important for us to uh, determine if this was an efficacious uh, regimen. Um, again, just graphically putting down what I had uh, stated earlier on, uh, these studies are taking place in Zimbabwe and in uh, uh, Uganda, and we have benefited from the uh, support and uh, obtained drugs from pharma, from uh, GSK Gilead, uh, Boringer Engelheim, and uh, probably one or two other uh, companies will come on board as we march with uh, DART. So we put 3,315 um, antiretroviral naive patients who were sick and had very low CD4 counts, less than 200 on uh, antiretroviral therapy. And they were randomized to uh, clinical and laboratory monitoring, which we called uh, CLM, and uh, clinical monitoring only, which is uh, CMO. And close to 2,500, received a triple nuke therapy, combivir and tenofovir. And uh, for Just to look at the virologic response, we looked at 300 patients. Um, I should mention that we were really looking at how you can deploy antiretroviral drugs in a developing world setting. So viral HIV uh, RNA virus estimation was not um, considered to be um, uh, strategic at that particular point in 1999 until uh, recently when, of course, there are cheaper ways of being able to do viral load. Uh, That was uh, probably not something to consider. The potential advantage of a triple nuke regimen is that you can use it with TB. Again, that's a very important consideration, given the amount of TB uh, in our environment. And, of course, you, you still have other... Classes of antiretrovirals that you can use. And what the the regimen that we're using had a very low uh, pill burden. Um, And it was known to be uh, well tolerated with a relatively low uh, toxicity profile from information from uh, elsewhere. Nonetheless, we were already aware by the time that we uh, presented. Uh, the results of this study that 1595 had shown that triple nukes uh, probably had uh, a suboptimal virologic uh, potency and there were issues of uh, uh, resistance. So the primary objective was to look at virologic response of combivir tenofovir and uh, a number of secondary objectives. I'll just concentrate on the primary objective. So 300 uh, uh, patients and uh, for the 300 patients, we looked at, uh, we we did HIV RNA assays at uh, four time points, and that totaled up to 1,200 samples. And this was the uh, response. Uh, The virologic response, as you can see, um, we have, on this axis, we have time, Zero, four, twelve, and twenty-four weeks, and uh, on that axis we have the uh, change in, uh, in, in in viral uh, load, and you can see that there was a very rapid uh, uh, fall in in, in, in log uh, viral load over time. And On uh, this axis, we showed the mean change increase in uh, CD4 count, and you can also see that there was a very good response in uh, a very good immunological response. If you just concentrate on this one, this intention to treat viral suppression at uh, week 24, and and this is uh, intention to treat uh, modified um, and then this is on treatment, but let's just concentrate on intention to treat. And you can see if you are using a cutoff point of less than four hundred, that seventy six percent of our uh, patients uh, responded uh, well. Just to compare it, because this was not a randomized comparison, uh, but just to look at um, uh, another study, the UK SHIK study, which. Um, had which was accessible to us, the information was accessible to us, and also we were able to tease out um, patients with a baseline CD4 count of less than 200. You can see that over time in the shick study, uh, the virologic response varied from, uh, if you're using the 400 uh, copies per mil cutoff point, from 68% to 87%, while in DART we had uh, 76%. So in summary, there was good virologic response to combivir tenofovir at 24 weeks. Um, Baseline viral load, just to emphasize that uh, we had very high uh, baseline viral load. I I didn't put up the slide. And these were patients who were sick, uh, WHO uh, stage 2, 3, and 4. And the tolerability of uh, this combination was also good comparable to populations with low CD4 counts initiating PI and NNRTI-based regimens. And I will not present this part of the study. We went on to do uh, genotyping and uh, showed uh, the various uh, aspects of resistance uh, with this regimen in our own setting, but that I will not show. I will show another uh, finding of... Our study, and uh, there was a worry about anemia given that we're using uh, zidovidin in an environment where the you know, anemia was common and there were many comorbidities, including uh, malaria. So, once again, the same number of patients uh, randomized to uh, clinical and lab monitoring and clinical monitoring only, and this time we're really looking at the entire uh, DART uh, cohort. And most of them, uh, close to 74%, were on a triple nuke regimen, 7% on an NNRTI-based regimen, and uh, 18% were on a triple nuke, but this was a special uh, study that was uh, uh, embedded uh, within DART itself. Um, We're looking at anemia, Uh, grades 1 up to grade 4 in the usual standard um, DADES toxicity uh, grading uh, to describe episodes of grade 4 anemia including concurrent clinical events and to investigate predictors of developing grade 4 anemia using multivariate logistic uh, regression. And um, This slide shows you the uh, trajectory of uh, hemoglobin over time and you can see that most of our patients really started with uh, hemoglobin that was low, 11.5 thereabouts, and there was an initial fall with a rise. Um, And by 84 uh, weeks, the, the mean hemoglobin was just under 13. The vast majority of patients had substantial increases in hemoglobin by 24 weeks after antitroviral initiation. However, the incidence of uh, grade 4 anemia in DART was 2% as compared to uh, most studies in the West uh, done in the late 90s and early part of uh, this decade, showing that there was probably around 1% anemia occurring in patients who uh, started antitrovirals that included uh, zidovidin. So, however, the incidence of grade 4 anemia in DART is higher than, that, than in studies in industrialized countries. Patients who died all had other uh, conditions. Uh, however, there was one patient who uh, died, and we attributed the death to be purely uh, a result of uh, anemia. So, most patients who died did so not because of anemia, although anemia was a significant uh, finding. So clinicians initiating patients on zydovidin-containing regimens in resource-limited settings need to be alert to clinical signs of anemia in the minority of patients who will develop it. And we went through to give some advice as to uh, how that should be uh, done. We thought this was important because remember in 1999 or so um, when we conceived the study uh, antiretroviral therapy was very limited in uh, uh, sub-Saharan Africa specifically. So really we had to spell out uh, all issues related to uh, the scale up of antiretroviral therapy. I will Go through a few slides um, regarding our second randomization, which is structured treatment interruptions. And the title of the uh, paper which we uh, presented in uh, 2000, and f- in last year at, at, uh, at the uh, World AIDS uh, conference, was A Structured Treatment Interruption a strategy of 12-week cycles on and off ART is clinically inferior to continuous therapy in patients with low CD4 counts before antitroviral therapy. And the background, I'm sure most of you are familiar, that intermittent therapy has the potential to reduce toxicity and reduce cost of antitroviral drugs and possibly improve uh, adherence while maintaining uh, clinical well-being. And at the time that we analyze our work, uh, the uh, study in Ivory Coast, Trivacan had shown that a CD4 guided uh, interrupted uh, strategy interruption strategy uh, was inferior to continuous uh, therapy and also at the same time uh, the, the smart study had shown that a CD4 guided uh, treatment interruption strategy was um, inferior. Nonetheless, we thought we could probably compare our study or This would be the most relevant study uh, to compare with ours because it was in a resource-limited setting. Now, for those of you who know about the Trivacan study, they also had a fixed time period uh, interruption, which is still ongoing, um, and I'm not sure that it has reported yet. I don't think it has. So, once again, we have our... uh, total number of patients, randomized to clinical monitoring and to clinical and lab monitoring, and um, for this particular sub-study, the primary endpoint was uh, efficacy. Um, uh, The efficacy primary endpoint was new WHO for event or death, and uh, the toxicity primary endpoint was serious adverse events. After the 3,000 plus Patients had been randomized to our primary uh, objective. A second randomization, which is the STI randomization, was carried out. And we carried this out on those who had achieved a CD4 count of 300 or more cells after 48 or 72 weeks on antiretroviral uh, drugs. Um, Half were randomized to an STI strategy and half to a continuous ART uh, strategy. The STI strategy was 12 weeks on and 12 weeks off. We had a total of 813 eligible uh, patients randomized up to July 2004. Uh, Following a second DSMB review in March 2006, based on data up to January 2006, the STI CT randomization was terminated Um, on the 15th of March 2006 and all patients went to continuous therapy and I'll go through to show you why uh, this part of the study was terminated. So this is the um, distribution of patients at baseline, uh, 405, 406 according to continuous therapy and uh, STI strategies. Most of our patients were women And uh, the median age was uh, 37 uh, years. And uh, the CD4 count mean was uh, 358, 357. They were comparable at the time of randomization. And uh, this is the distribution of regimens that uh, uh, the patients were on. And they were comparable. Results. Results. And I think I'll just focus on the uh, primary efficacy uh, outcome. And the primary endpoint was new WHO stage four. And as you can see, that um, uh, the hazard ratio uh, clearly indicated that uh, those who were on continuous uh, uh, therapy were at an advantage with uh, less uh, new WHO. Uh, events. And these new WHO4 events were really osophageal candidiasis. If we look at the uh, SAE, the toxicity uh, endpoint, SAEs were no different. There was no statistically significant difference between the two strategies. However, if one teased out uh, AEs, adverse events which impacted uh, on um, uh, change or modifying antiretroviral therapy, i.e. toxicities that were seen uh, leading to a change in in regimen, then uh, patients on continuous therapy uh, uh, were changed uh, more than patients who were on the STI uh, strategy. So over a median period, median follow-up period of 51 weeks, the majority of STI patients were able to take antiretrovirals intermittently without developing uh, WHO4 events. However, the STI strategy as we uh, uh, designed it was associated with a 2.6-fold increased rate of clinical WHO stage 4 events and cannot therefore be recommended. Uh, Importantly, there were only five deaths in the STI group and four deaths in the CT group, so there was no statistically (coughs) important uh, difference. There is a big team that um, obviously uh, is running uh, DART in uh, Uganda and and in Zimbabwe, and uh, I'd like to uh, thank them most uh, sincerely for all the work that they're doing. There are several sub-studies that are ongoing, uh, being anchored to DART, and uh, DART has branched into a number of issues. There is a children's DART, which is called ARROW, um, um, ARROW being similar in, in shape to DART, um, and, and we hope that over the next course of uh, five, six years, DART leading on to ARROW, we should be able to uh, ask and answer important questions that impact uh, deployment of antitraviral drugs in um, our setting. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much, Dr. Hakeem. Are there questions that people would like to address to uh, Dr. Hakeem before we move on with the program? Kevin
1: on studying when to start? Something like um As I had mentioned, um, the, the DART study had that primary question of uh, CLM and uh, uh, CMO, and that is continuing until hopefully we uh, come up with um, uh, some answers in a year or two. When to start is not part of that. Um, we have uh, uh, collaborations with, with the NIH and through uh, hopefully uh, a several discordant study and an expansion of that study, we might be able to address that. Uh, there are other parties that are uh, you know, uh, sitting down to work out if they can design a study of that nature and we are part of those
0: discussions. Steve, Dr. Spector.
1: With, with uh, all that we've heard about the uh, political arrests do you have a? Uh, could you tell us how that is impacting on your ability to provide care and treatment? I, I was not aware that there were any political arrests. Anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> there, there are. There are important um, political and economic challenges uh, in Zimbabwe at the moment. Um, However, as I mentioned very briefly, uh, at the university and uh, the research community specifically has uh, been able to carry out work and the little um, uh, list of studies that I showed you was really meant to show you that we are still able to do good work in spite of all the economic and political challenges.
0: I think if you uh, have the opportunity to visit the uh, um, University of Zimbabwe's uh, AIDS research program, uh, it's one of the most uh, amazing places I've been in terms of the cohesion of the uh, team, the way they've integrated it with the care, uh, the uh, efforts they've made to provide post-trial access to drugs, it's, it's really a fantastic program and has been providing an anchor for people to uh, continue to, to work and remain and grow there. So it's been really, uh, it's been a great program. Uh, so I, I, uh, is another uh, reason that uh, I think all of us should be uh, uh, in awe of what uh, Dr. Hakim and his colleagues have, have uh, managed to do um, under circumstances of difficult, but uh, what he's shown is that uh, not only can be done, it can be done very well uh, and very rigorously.